Welcome to Mountain Talk. I'm your host, Tanya Turner. I have a weekly music show here on WMMT, but today I'm on air because of Apple Shop's 50th anniversary. Apple Shop started in fall of 1969 here in Wattsburg, Kentucky as a media training program for local teenagers. Starting with short videos about Appalachia, these young people, their mentors, and creative people near and far grew Apple Shop into a multimedia arts and culture center collectively producing the largest body of work about Appalachia. This Mountain Talk is the second in an Apple Shop at 50 series to feature some of those early voices, hear from current Apple Shop artists, and highlight our 50th celebrations all over the country through 2020. In this episode, we talk about amping up Apple Shop's 50th anniversary celebrations across the Northeast. As Apple Shop celebrates 50 years of art and media making, each new trip from D.C. to San Francisco is like a family reunion. Our upcoming trips to New York and Boston as Atlantic Renewal Award finalists will bring Apple Shop to new audiences as well as celebrate this milestone with five decades of diverse artists who helped to build this legacy. We'll hear from Karen Atlas who spent 10 years at Apple Shop and now organizes arts and democracy work in New York as well as Eli Smith coordinating the Brooklyn Folk Festival spotlighting June Apple artists and Apple Shop films this April 5th through 7th. Lastly, Apple Shop Executive Director Alex Gibson will share how he returned home to Eastern Kentucky through Apple Shop after traveling the world in college, as well as his upcoming presentations at NYU and Harvard. Read all about our New York and Boston events and support Apple Shop's 50th at appleshop.org 50th. First, we hear from Eli Smith of the Brooklyn Folk Festival. All right. Well, Eli, it's great to have you on WMMT's Mountain Talk. Thank you so much for calling in to us from New York City. It'd be nice if you were here in the studio, but this is the next best, I guess. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on the radio. This is great. Yeah. Um, Do you ever get a chance to listen to WMMT up in the city? Yes, yes. I I love your station very much, and I've, I've donated before as well during your fun drive oh that's a good (laughs) plug thanks for that yeah we've got uh, our spring fun drive is coming up very soon yeah so it's a good time to think about what value uh you know community radio brings to your life um absolutely and so you're on the show today to talk to us a little bit about the brooklyn folk fest which we are so excited about um would you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be involved with um the brooklyn folk fest Yes, of course. Um, well, yeah, my, my name's Eli Smith. I'm the founder of the Brooklyn Folk Festival. Um, I've been doing it for 11 years. We're, we're going into our 11th festival, uh, April 5th through 7th here. And I work at a place called the Jalopy Theater and School of Music, which is um, a music venue and music school uh, that's dedicated to, I would say creating community around music, uh, specifically around traditional music, around folk music. Um, We also have a little record label, and we put on several music festivals, uh, and the Brooklyn Folk Festival is our largest production of the year. Uh, It's held at a large uh, church building in downtown Brooklyn, and uh, it's just a beautiful event. There'll be about uh, 50 different bands there this year, 
as well as workshops, film screenings, uh, jam sessions. We have, we have a banjo throwing contest called the Banjo Toss. Wow. Where we see how far how far people can throw throw a banjo, and they win a win a nice new banjo if they win. And uh, it's just a, it's a it's a whole lot of fun. It's going to be a great festival this year, uh, April fifth through seventh here here in in Brooklyn in New York. And people can look on the website brooklynfolkfest.com if you want to see uh, what all is going on. Uh, so many great bands. I, I can tell you more about all the different music and everything that we have. But um, myself personally, I'm a I play old time string band music. That's that's my first love as as far as music goes. And I always try to feature a lot of uh, uh, string band music and and um, you know Appalachian music at at the at the folk festival. And it's one of the few festivals I think that does do that. Yeah, probably especially there in Brooklyn and in New York. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, we've been working together for the past few months now <clears throat> since last year to to pull this together, and we're so excited to be up there. Um, well, we're thr- we're thrilled to have have the Apple Shop coming to the Brooklyn Folk Festival this year, uh, in honor of your all's fiftieth uh, anniversary and all the amazing work that you all have done over over the many years. So it, it's going to be great great to have have you guys there. Uh, we'll have Nate Nate Polly there and and the local honeys and uh, John Harrod, the great fiddler. Uh, so thank thank you guys for for coming. Yeah, we can't wait. Um, we've been getting all the logistics together to be up in New York. Uh, it's no fault, small feat to um, bring all these folks up to New York. I so know. we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. It's, it's, it is. It's a challenge to, to, to bring that much mu- music and musicians uh, around. So I'm, I'm so glad that we could that we could make it happen. Yeah, I think we're all going to be better for it. Just this past week here in the Apple Shop, we've had a building full of artists from New York and Morocco and Indonesia. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and so, um, you know, a big part of the 50 years of Apple Shop, as I've come to know and love and learn about them, is really about cultural exchange, both um, in yeah. the, but both across the, the so many cultures here in the United States, but also globally. We've done lots of exchanges, and so... You know, it's just as important to us as uh, our local work that we do here within our our own folks and our own community is um, really connecting cultures across the country. We all are better off for it, for sure. Yeah, for that, um, right on. Yeah. Yeah, and so we're also going to be able to bring some films, some Apple Shop films to the festival. You all are having several film screenings. We were excited to see. So it's a really multimedia um, festival yeah. you're putting together. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really cool. I didn't know, I knew that you all had made films, but I didn't know how many and the variety and the quality is, is really um, quite exceptional. Um, what what films are we screening of yours at the festival this year? We have Cat Catfish Man of the Woods. Yeah, that's one of uh, that's a local favorite. I think Catfish Man of the Woods. It's a profile of yeah. a of a local man who um, later in his life felt like he cured a lot of his grand health issues with local herbal medicine, um, and then began to really help other people. Um, cure a lot of ailments in their lives with uh, herbs and things um, he put together from the woods. Um, yeah. It's a pretty beautiful story. I, it's it's a really fun one. I think that'll be, yeah, that'll be very interesting for people that are interested in natural medicine, um, yeah, which and, is a lot, of, a lot of people are. 
uh, and then we're going to screen the, the film that was made about uh, Evelyn Williams. Yeah. We actually, um, you know, as a part of our 50th anniversary, we have things going on all over the place, and we're actually having monthly film screenings in Kentucky's largest art museum. It's called the Speed, oh. the Speed Art Museum, and they have a brand new cinema expansion. We just screened in February, our February screening was of Evelyn Williams for Black History Month. And so I actually okay. just got to see it on the big screen and it was just incredibly beautiful. But yeah, it's a portrait of um, a woman from Knott County, our neighboring county, so really close to here. Uh-huh. Um, an African-American woman who was an activist and uh, a mother to six or seven children and lived both here and in New York, actually, um, and uh-huh. organized her neighbors in both of those communities around issues that were important to them. Um, and in her retirement back here in the mountains, she um, led a pretty big fight and won against a coal company and a gas company on her property. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So it's uh, And she was just... Just an incredible um, organizer and inspiration. So it's it's be- it's going to be beautiful to have her work shown up there, where she actually organized her neighbors around um, some uh, tenant issues in the neighborhood that she yeah. lived in in New York. Great. So another way that um, we're kind of bridging these cultural these cultures. And then uh, and John Herod, um, fiddling John Herod is going to bring a very nice fiddle workshop as well to the festival called Glimpses of the African-American Fiddle Tradition in Kentucky, which I'm very much looking forward to. And I think he's going to play for the square dance as well. It'll be a lot of fun. Nate, Polly, and John Herod have new albums out in the last year. From... Yeah, tell, tell, me about, tell me about that. Sure, yeah. So Apple Shop's record label, June Apple, um, is, is really around to produce art from um, regional artists that wouldn't normally get a chance to create an album because either because of the music that they make or because of where they live or their um, inability to afford it or connect to it so we really have put out um, I think we have about 95 albums maybe yeah it's a pretty incredible discography of mountain music you will not hear other places um, John Herod is an incredible musician who um, has had other albums out on other um, labels, and so it's a little bit different. But what's unique and cool about this album is it's all fiddle tunes from Kentucky, and it's just like a really beautiful, um, it really tells a really beautiful story of the history of that music in Kentucky. Uh, and then Nate Polly, this is his first solo album. And Nate is from here in Letcher County. He lives right down the road from Apple Shop. And he worked uh-huh. um, with the railroad for 40 years. He was a railroad man and played in bands here and there his whole life. He's played music. And so this is his first solo album. He's wrote some of the tracks on it. And it's pretty, it's really beautiful, incredible album. Yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of his music. I've, I've, I've been listening to it. So definitely looking forward to to having him at the festival and and letting people know about those records. Yeah, both of those albums and most, a lot of our June Apple discography is now available on Spotify and iTunes and CD Baby, I think you can order. And then we'll be bringing a lot of our LPs to the festival uh, for folks to go through some of our older stuff that's harder to get to. We hope to bring to the Brooklyn Folk Fest audience. Um, and then, of course, the local honeys are also performing, which are a young female duo that do um, country and old time music. They actually were the first women to graduate out of Moorhead State University's uh, old time traditional Kentucky music program. 
and then they formed a band and they've been performing ever since they just got back from england they did about a three-week uh tour in england and to several sold-out shows they uh, had an incredible um tour over there and they just got back and now are getting ready to head back to new york and we're working with yeah. them currently on releasing um, their second album, which is um, an interesting uh, piece because it's a gospel album that they wouldn't otherwise be able to put out um, with more traditional, in more traditional ways. Wow. So we're working with them on putting out a gospel album. So that's going to be pretty cool. They've been working hard. They, they're touring a lot. They, they were up here uh, in New York and played here at the Jalopy Theater uh, not very long ago. That's when I first... Uh, heard them and became aware of their music. They're, they're very, very good, and they're great. I'm, I'm actually looking through my LPs here uh, for a an album that you all put out a number of years ago. That's, I think, the Nimrod Workman record. That's our first. Called, that's June Apple 1, Passing Through the Walking, Garden. Wa- is it called Walking in the Garden? Passing Through the Garden. Passing through the garden. That's right. I, I, yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking for the title now. That's a wonderful record. Yeah, that's our first June Apple record. The very nope. first one. Oh, here one. it is. I found my copy. Passing through the garden. Yeah. If you uh, look in the upper right-hand corner of that LP, it'll say JA001. Yeah, here it is. Uh, it has a, a wonderful photograph of, of Nimrod and his daughter Phyllis on the cover. That's a great yeah, record. It is. I was lucky to, lucky to find. I was lucky to find a copy. Yeah, it sure is. Well, are there, um, you know, there are other incredible artists performing at the Brooklyn Folk Fest, even ones that have performed here at Apple Shop over the years on our Seed Time stage. Seed Time is, of course, our annual festival, and this year it's happening yeah. June 7th and 8th here in Whitesburg, Kentucky, uh, on Apple Shop well, grounds. Up. Yeah, and so one of our headliners this year, and she's headlined before, is Amethyst Kia, who is going to be at the oh, Brooklyn great. Folk Fest. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also, we're, ha- we're, we're, we're having Am- Amethyst Kia back back to the Brooklyn Folk Festival this year. She's really wonderful. Um, your listeners might also enjoy um, the Ozark Highballers, which is a awesome string band from uh, Arkansas, from the Fayetteville area of Arkansas. Um, that I'm a I'm a big fan of. And actually, I speaking of record labels, I, I run Jalopy's own record label, Jalopy Records. And we just put, we're about to release a new album from the Ozark Highballers. So your listeners might enjoy that as well. They can, they can look up Jalopy Records or, or uh, the Ozark Highballers band to find more information about that. Yeah, I can't wait to hear them play. Um, you all are also having Joan Shelley there. Joan headlined our last seed time on the Cumberland Festival. She's a Kentuckian. Oh, yeah, we love Joan. Yeah, she's a, she's a wonderful musician. Uh, she'll be at the festival for the first time along with. Uh, she's an old friend, uh, along with uh, Nathan Salzberg, who, who plays guitar with her. That, that's going to be um, great. And Nathan is actually the curator of the Alan Lomax archive as well. Yes. And he's going to be doing a uh, workshop presentation at the festival about uh, the the 60th anniversary of Alan Lomax's, uh, what was called his Southern Journey, when he made a big field recording trip all over the South. Uh, in 1959, so it'll be cool to have Nathan there as well uh, presenting about that. Absolutely, yeah. We uh, Nathan actually curated a panel of artists here for Seed Time a few years ago, maybe four years ago now, that played uh-huh. um, some of those earliest tunes, uh, some of those earliest Lomax recordings, and we did a gallery oh, cool. exhibit in our Apple Shop gallery 
a few years ago. Maybe it was the, maybe it was five years ago and it was the 55th anniversary. I don't reckon. I don't remember, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was good to meet Nathan. And yeah, he was here with Joan um, this last seed time. It was great to have them here. Oh, great. Well, cool. Eli, I appreciate you being on with us so much. Would you um, just give us a little recap about how people can learn more about the Brooklyn Folk Fest? Yes, uh, everybody should come to the Brooklyn Folk Festival. Um, if you can possibly make it, it's April 5th, 6th, and 7th uh, here in, in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, you can see the whole schedule with video links to all the bands and everything uh, at brooklynfolkfest.com. And if you can't make it in person, we'll be live streaming the whole festival. So people can uh, look at our website or, or look us up on, on the Internet to uh, find the uh, live stream, and you can, you can watch it at home. But look at, look at brooklynfolkfest.com for all the, all the information. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Eli. We will see you real soon up in Brooklyn. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll, I'll, 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 we'll see you at the airport. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, keep listening to WMMT in the meantime. Next, we hear from Karen Atlas about her time with Apple Shop when WMT first launched onto the airwaves, as well as her efforts to celebrate Apple Shop at 50 in New York City. All right, Karen, I just really appreciate you so much for being on this episode of Mountain Talk. It's always a pleasure to get to talk with you. And because we're going to be in New York soon, I've got to speak with you a lot recently. <laughs> Karen, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe um, how you came to be so interconnected with Apple Shop? Sure, Karen Atlas, and um, I connected with Apple Shop in the 80s. I was working at Dance Theater Workshop in um, New York, a theater, and we presented Roadside Theater and some of the Apple Shop films. And or they were actually they were presenting the Apple Shop films at the Museum of Modern Art and. We presented Roadside and, and Joe Carson, and we were sort of part of a, a, a group of activities going on in New York. And I got to know Apple Shop people through that and um, um, ended up going to Apple Shop on a vacation and was recruited to be development director on that vacation. And my response was like, no way. <laughs> And then a year later, I went back to Apple Shop on vacation, and the job was still open, and um, I decided to do it and came uh, moved to um, Whitesburg in 86 and stayed there through 95. Wow. Come on vacation and stay for a decade. <laughs> yeah. That sounds And I like... remember that um, WMMT was just starting at that point, and uh, part of the job requirement was that I do a radio show and I thought this is cool you know that I'm required to do a radio show because it was just getting up and running and and we needed to fill up the air and then obviously very quickly there was more demand for shows than than airtime but uh, it was really fun being on MMT as a DJ. I bet what was your show about? I did um, it's it was a world music show called Sin Fronteras Without Borders. And I played music from all over the world and um, did interviews with people who were living in Whitesburg who came from other places. Uh, a lot of times the doctors and their wives or um, people, you know, who were uh, came from all around the world who were living in Whitesburg and the area. Wow. That sounds beautiful. 
Well, Karen, will you tell us? fun. Yeah, I bet. The radio can be a whole lot of fun. Um, will you tell us a little bit about what you do now in New York? Sure. I um, run two projects, um, and I teach. Um, so Arts and Democracy is a project that um, is a national decentralized network where um, we're really looking at how um, the relationship between arts and culture and civic engagement and how being engaged in the arts can help you uh, have more of a say in the decisions that have a big impact on your lives. And we've collaborated a lot with Kentucky. Uh, We do cultural organizing workshops, and there's been one in Kentucky regularly. Um, And we do one in New York, and we're about to do one in Los Angeles and New Orleans. Um, that, so that's arts and democracy. And then, um, with we, in New York city, we have an alliance called naturally occurring cultural districts, New York, which is really about, um, putting together a network of very community-based cultural groups and, um, you know, looking at cross-sector, um, partnerships with public health or, with public housing uh, residents, um, but really looking at ways, you know, with the lens of healthy communities, the ways that we can support all of the kinds of culture that's happening in communities that's already there, uh, really with an asset-based kind of approach. And I feel like both of these projects that I direct are so aligned with the work uh, of Apple Shop and what I learned by being at Apple Shop and the values I gained when I was at Apple Shop. And then the other thing I do is I teach, and I teach at NYU um, in their art and politics program and at Pratt in their uh, city and regional planning program uh, to get planners to start thinking more about culture as part of their work. That's beautiful, and it just goes to show how busy you are these days, (laughs) Um, which makes it so much sweeter that you are putting in a lot of work right now to help host Apple Shop during this 50th anniversary um, in New York City. Um, Would you want to tell us a little bit about that and maybe kind of what this 50th milestone means to you? Oh, sure. I mean, I think it's amazing. It's really, really impressive that Apple Shop's been around for 50 years. Um, There's so much, um, you know, work that sort of comes and goes. It's project-oriented. But if you're really talking about making a difference, you need to be there and you need to stay. And, you know, for me, I was there 10 years, and that felt like a long time for me, but 50 years is just so incredible in terms of a body of work and the incredible body of work that Apple Shop has created, but also the set of relationships that Apple Shop has um, locally, but then also regionally, nationally, and internationally. So um, it's really um, something to be very proud of, the the fact that that Apple Shop is 50 years old, but also that it's, it's reimagined um, itself over that time. It's not like a, a relic from the past. It's just continuing to endure but isn't relevant anymore it's it's the fact that the that there's been all of these um that there's a lot of the original people still involved which gives it some really deep roots but then that apple shop has learned how to um develop new leadership through ami and other programs and um continually um understand what it means to be relevant now in its community um and um, in its broader work, um, it's just super impressive. Yeah. So 
in New York, um, you know, we're, I'm helping um, co-host a house party with a, a friend and colleague who lives just down the street from me in Park Slope in Brooklyn, and um, we're excited about being able to show some of the uh, clips of Apple Shop films to our friends and neighbors and to um, hear some great music, which I really miss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. You said, you know, talking about the generational, the intergenerational work of Apple Shop, you know, we do have several um, people who were high school students when Apple Shop started and were some of the first people to put hands on cameras here in Whitesburg. And now our, our executive director, our development director, and over half of our project directors are under 35. So it's a yeah. pretty, um, you know, really a lot of our art production and programming are, is being led by young people um, with a lot of institutional memory and mentorship and guidance. And that's a pretty incredible model to get to uh, um, not just read about, but uh, <laughs> work through. It's, it's and I think it's, it's, that's also a really um, not so common thing is to be able to maintain the intergenerational feel of something. Um, we just had a retreat for our group, our naturally occurring cultural districts group, and we were asking people what they valued about the group. And one person who works with urban bushwomen said, um, you know, I really value it being intergenerational. Um, most groups I'm in are either, she was a young person, are either just young people. Um, so, and she was giving urban bushwomen as another reference point that it's always been intergenerational. So you had the benefit of both, of all the different perspectives. And, um, I do really appreciate that about Apple Shop. And I appreciated it when I was there and I was young. <laughs> um, and there were people there who had a lot of history and ties to the region, and, and AMI was just starting, so there were a lot of young people around, too. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit more about um, your class at NYU and your invitation for Alex to come and speak? Sure. Um, I teach a class with a colleague, Gonzalo Casal. Um, and it's called um, Imagination and Change, Arts, Culture, and Cultural Policy. And it really focuses on those two different things, which sometimes seem like they're contradictions, um, imagination and policy. But uh, the idea being um, uh, to really look at the ways that arts and culture can be part of policy making and reconfiguring and reshaping. Um, both policies and other areas, um, and, you know, that are in, you know, the communities are looking at, and also um, policy related to culture itself. And so I, I knew all along that I would love to have Apple Shop um, there because, as one of the guests, um, because I feel like from my experience at Apple Shop, Apple Shop has had a huge impact on, on policy. And I've seen it happen in so many different realms, um, both locally and the, the example I keep going to locally is, you know, when there's uh, when the Appalachian Regional Commission was doing some studies on the area and they had different committees you could join. Apple Shop didn't just join the Arts and Culture Committee, but joined every community, because <laughs> committee, you know, from environment to education, right. because um, the work is so holistic. And uh, it wasn't just from an arts lens. <laughs> And then on a um, so that's like uh, on a regional level. Um, uh, locally, I think you know when you are somewhere for fifty years, you 
you can have a different impact around policy than you can if you just are popping in. And nationally, I've seen over so many years the influence of the Apple Shop on um, policy at the National Endowment for the Arts, on um, policy in the different fields that people work in, like the media field or the theater field, around ensembles, um, or the radio field, um, that a lot of Apple Shop people have been really active in the um, national um, affinity groups for these different artistic disciplines and really brought the perspective of place-based work, of equity, you know, the values of Apple Shop. They've brought those to the table and around higher education as well. Yeah. Well, so that's that's why I want Apple Shop there. And I also was eager. I think we're going to play a little bit of Stranger with a Camera. I use that when I teach a lot because I'm really uh, interested in raising the kind of um, – issues of ethical practice that that raises. Yeah, definitely. Uh, during this 50th, I've started to refer to Stranger as a camera as our free bird. <laughs> it's what people uh, just, you know, want to see, want to talk about over and over because it was such an influential story and such an influential piece of media. that. Um, it's, and it's still so relevant. I mean, know. what's interesting is when I show it, a lot of my classes have international students and they find it so relevant to their experiences. Right. Yeah. Well, we're also going to have Alex Gibson, our executive director, on um, this on this episode of Mountain Talk. So maybe we'll get him to talk to us a little bit about what he'll speak on in your class at NYU in a few weeks. That sounds good. Be good. Well, Karen, are there any final words you want to share or any um, juicy stories you want to tell of you, from your time at <laughs> Apple Shop? <laughs> well, I will say, I'll say two things, one serious thing and one humorous thing. The humorous thing is that when I got to Apple Shop, uh, this, this was kind of my little legend. Um, I had never driven a stick shift car before. I had driven a car, <laughs> although some people don't tell the story that way. Um, and so I had to learn how to drive. I bought myself a stick shift card and didn't know how to drive it. So I learned how to drive a stick shift card the same day I learned how to operate uh, the radio at WMMT. Wow. And I think of that as one of my most, um, you know, that's a day I remember. Not bad. <laughs> um, so that was great. I mean, the, the more serious thing is I just can't um, say, uh, I can't emphasize more how important um, working at Apple Shop was for me, and it was a long time ago, but it, it, it informs everything I do. And um, it's such a powerful place and such an important um, uh, institution. And like I think I said before, the values um, of Apple Shop really have informed my work very much. And um, living um, in Whitesburg has had, had a huge impact on me as a person who lives in the city. So um, really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you so much, Karen. And I look forward to being with you in New York City in a few weeks. That's good. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on this episode of Mountain Talk. And we will talk again soon.
listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT. In this episode, we're talking about Apple Shop's 50th anniversary and our upcoming spring celebrations in New York and Boston. Finally, Apple Shop Executive Director Alex Gibson shares his Apple Shop story, some upcoming events, and perspectives on this 50th anniversary milestone. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on this 50th celebratory edition of Mountain Talk. Um, It's nice to be able to have someone in the room with to talk to. A lot of these interviews have had to be over the phone. Yeah, it's very nice to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Well, um, would you care to tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you came to be the executive director of Apple Shop? Um, Yeah, I grew up in the area and in Jackson County, a bit more rural of eastern Kentucky than Letcher County. And it was tobacco country, but I grew up on a tobacco farm that had cattle and apple orchards and whatnot. So I was into the region, and I felt like at different times the region was less into me. Um, So I grew up with some problems uh, thinking about whether or not uh, black people fit into Appalachia. Um, it was my introduction to the kind of intellectual side of Appalachia that let me realize that there were um, there was a context to the suffering, uh, to the antagonism and racial division. Um, and I think my two biggest educators in that way were Berea College and Apple Shop. And um, so I've always been a big fan of both of those two. And the opportunity to come back to Apple Shop from corporate law uh, was sort of like an opportunity to um, decide who it is you want to be in life. And I think for me, Achieving a high-earning salary, um, doing corporate law, which is what the smart kids from my law school did, I was sort of checking off boxes of accomplishment. And then at some point I reflected back that that these actually didn't matter to me. And I told myself a lot of things growing up about what type of person I wanted to be, what influence I wanted to have, what I stood for. And I think it was almost impossible for me to achieve those things and continue to be a corporate defense attorney. Well, during this 50th anniversary, I think we're thinking a lot about life and cycles um, and a lot of how Apple Shop has kind of grown into this intergenerational place so organically. So in my interview with Karen Atlas, who was on, who was on this episode as well, she, um, her and I talked a lot about how, um, how wild it is that we have so many founding members, people in this community who were the first ones to put their hands on cameras here at Apple Shop. And then also you and over half of our project directors are under 35. That's a pretty uh, unique situation to be in. Um, is that what you thought you were coming into when you came to Apple Shop? I don't know that I thought about that, actually. Um, I don't think I thought about the age demographics at all when I was coming here. And 
you know, it's pretty common for nonprofits, I think, to have generational transition um, as one of the major issues that they're dealing with. Um, so it, it is one of Apple Shop's issues, and it's, I think, been both good and bad. You know, recently we were nominated for the Renewal Awards um, from the Atlantic. You know, this national recognition for the work that we're doing here. Um, um, and some of that work, a lot of that work, is um, has been built by the founding generation. And then the cool thing about getting awards now is it's sort of showing that you know, the younger people are doing it right, too, and learning the right lessons. Um, so that's always that's always um, positive. Well, we are about to have um, one of our bigger 50th celebrations up in New York City. That's some of what Karen uh, was talking with us about and Eli. Uh, we interviewed and talked to us a little bit about the Brooklyn Folk Fest. But, um, you know, you are no stranger to Ivy League schools. Um, we're really lucky to have you here um, with a, a law degree from UPenn. And um, you are going to be speaking about Apple Shop, um, both about policy um, and all kinds of things, both at NYU and at Harvard on this trip, this 50th trip up to New York and Boston. Would you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, oddly... There's been a lot of connections between Ivy League schools and Apple Shop in its history. Um, there's been a lot of folks coming from Harvard, um, some on our staff now, and um, our founder came from Yale. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. Um, of course, I mean, I, I think coming from an Ivy League background, a lot of that's demystified to me but I will say that I'll be speaking at the Black Policy Conference which is something that happens every year and that's a pretty cool thing I think it's Harvard's relationship with black people isn't uh, terrific um, but it happens there and I'll be speaking there so um, I'm excited about that and I'll be talking about um, humanness and I, and I hope to draw connections between um, some of the situations that exist in um, black communities and then some of the situations that exist in Appalachian uh, rural communities. So I'm excited about that. Um, I would say, to me, a, a lot of the problems of um, the Ivy League existing um, can be paralleled to the problems that uh, rural people face. You know, there's insider and outsider worlds uh, in this country. and. Um, just because I was led into the door of one of these bizarre insider worlds, you know, I was still never part of the Ivy League. The, to be part of the Ivy League, you have to come from generations of Ivy League graduates. And then everybody knows each other and everybody goes to the same schools and churches and primary schools. I was an interloper. You know, I was someone who had the test scores. Um, and, uh, and I think it's pretty cool to analogize um, or poignant to analogize the sort of economic class stratification that Ivy Leagues highlight, uh, because it is uh, it's it's the exact problem that we face in Appalachia. Yeah. Um, well, let's take a step back a little bit from these kind of individual events that are happening during this time. You know, there's a lot going on all through this year both out in uh, the great yonder, but also here in Wattsburg and in Lexington. We're gearing up for a big seed time this year and an even bigger seed time next year in 2020. 
But besides, you know, all these events and ways for people to gather together and celebrate, um, what do you feel like is um, some of the most important things about this milestone, this 50th milestone for Apple Shop? I think the most important thing is that we're, you know, we're continuing to tell stories that um, larger media organizations don't tell from a first-person perspective. Um, if we reflect on what's happening in the country, you know, there was, I think, um, just in my memory, we had a lot of division during um, uh, the presidency of uh, George W. Bush, and many people thought that the country couldn't become more divided. Um, I remember some liberals even joked that if, if President Bush had found a cure for cancer, you know, they wouldn't support it. And it became clear um, to people on the left and the right that, for example, while Bush was president, that the Democratic Party had no interest in working with him on anything. Um, then Obama became the president. Um, and I think it ramped up and it became such that, again, Obama could pass almost nothing that would get bipartisan support. Uh, and now we're in the, the new era of Donald Trump where, you know, um, the idea of any kind of bipartisan action is absurd. So in this country, you know, we face problems that are bigger than what Democrats or Republicans can solve independently. In addition, uh, we have new problems with media where I have very intelligent, uh, thoughtful friends of mine who say the most bizarre things. And they're bizarre because the information that they get, um, they trust. The information I get, I trust. And the information they cite to me, I don't trust. So, and the, and the reverse is true. So we don't trust each other's facts anymore. Media has become so segmented, and everything that we look at tends to reinforce our own beliefs. So Apple Shop is even more critical to accomplish its mission in that era, in an era of non-fact, of fake news. Um, we're in a brave new world. What does Apple Shop need to uh, survive another 50 years? We need uh, continued support from people who share a similar mission and want to see the country come together to talk about in earnest ways its vision for how it wants to see democracy move forward. Um, we have to build alliances and partnerships across the country for people that have the same orientation as us because when a bunch of people gather together around a similar cause it's when you get the best chance for change and so our work needs to be continuing to reach out to people who also think it's important to add complexity and nuance to a story people who also think that no human being is worth a dehumanizing uh, media process and that um, cooperation and collaboration across political, gender, and racial divides is something not only desirable 
but is the only way to really move a just democracy forward. I think support with those people, financial and partnership, is what we need to move forward for another 50 years. Thank you. Any uh, final words you want to share about Appleshop's 50th or uh, a funny story? Um, I mean, a story, it's not so funny, but a story that comes to mind to me pretty frequently was when uh, it was me and you and Ada and we were at uh, Hugh Archer's Igloo House. um, And he talked about in the 70s that Appleshop would put solar panels on people's houses. And... uh, and I think it's pretty cool that we're getting solar panels now. Um, it is that sort of radicalism um, in the mountains that has attracted me to Apple Shop. And um, I think um, a radical obsession with this place and storytelling and human rights and workers' rights and women's rights and black rights and etc. <laughs> have been part of Apple Shop's mission from the beginning. And that's a pretty cool thing to see in an area so stereotyped as being uh, ignorant and racist and backward. Um, so in a lot of ways, um, to me, Apple Shop is um, an example of the sort of best of our culture, when the cooperation and the collaboration and the storytelling um, the sharing and the, you know, the familial nature can be combined with work that actually moves the needle and makes a difference. Um, I like our southern spin to um, development, social justice work. It's a we're a uniquely Appalachian organization, and. I'm looking forward to that continuing for the next 50 years. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on this episode of Mountain Talk, Alex. Best of luck on your adventures representing Apple Shop and drumming up support for the next 50 years of art and media making in the mountains. Thank you, Tanya. It's been a pleasure. It seemed like on yesterday I met you Pretty as the lilies in the dew You led me by the hand Into the promised land High in the pine mountain kudzu Got the blues, got the blues Got the broken hearted, low down sorry blues On pine mountain so high She left me high and dry she left me crying in the kudzu. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mountain Talk, the second in our Apple Shop at 50 series. Keep following our 50th celebrations and contribute to our anniversary at appleshop.org 50th and on our social media pages at Apple Shop. If you'd like to hear this or previous episodes again, you can find them on our website at wmmt.org or download Mountain Talk as a podcast from SoundCloud or Stitcher. Music on this episode features Jude Apple artists performing at the upcoming Brooklyn Folk Festival on April 5th through 7th. Our intro music is The Local Honeys with Freight Train Blues, then John Herod with Al Hoot, and Nate Polly with Lost in the Kudzu. 
I've been your host, Tanya Turner, and this episode was produced by Rachel Geringer. From all of us at Apple Shop, thanks for being part of Apple Shop's 50th anniversary, and thanks for listening to WMMT Real People Radio. Left me a crying in the kudzu.